On the last episode of Partners in Parenting, we looked at why the door might get slammed in your face as a parent. It's not uncommon for parents or teenagers to feel shut up by their team. It's not personal. If you doesn't get you anywhere. This episode, we'll look at why that door gets slammed so darn hard. As we've already learned, being a teenager comes with a slew of brand new emotions that a teenager will feel pretty acutely, and often they don't have the tools yet to be able to deal with them. And while this is a perfectly reasonable explanation, it still doesn't help the poor parent who feels like their teenager's temper works on a hair trigger. One wrong move and... It's up and down like a yo-yo and getting angry at small things. Oh, they've flipped their lid. I can't talk to them right now. My name's Paul Nicholson and welcome to episode three of Partners in Parenting. It's okay if you feel like you're walking on eggshells around your teenager. In this episode, we'll be talking to our parents about how they've learned to diffuse the bomb that can be heightened teenage emotions. We'll look at why all teenagers can fly off the handle and how sometimes, no matter how hard you try, arguments will happen between you and your teen. We'll give you some tools in the Bomb Disposal Toolkit to give you back a little bit of confidence and control around working with your teenager's emotions and restore a sense of calm to your home. As I'm sure you already know, and you will if you've been listening to episodes one and two of this podcast, that strong emotions are pretty well part and parcel of being a teenager. We spoke to five parents who completed the online Partners in Parenting program developed by Monash University to find out their experiences. Anna describes a time where her 13-year-old son had a heck of an effect on the family dynamic when he was experiencing a moody period at the start of high school. He was up and down like a yo-yo and getting angry at small things. And that was kind of, that was pretty hard because it got to the point where it was kind of affecting the whole family dynamic because his moods would then affect everybody in the house. And for anyone who ever watched Big Brother back in the day, we know that strong moods can affect everyone's time in the house. So let's rewind for a bit and check in with our parenting experts, Emeritus Professor Tony Jorm and Dr. Mairead Cardamone-Breen, to recap some of what we covered in Episode 1, why teenagers are prone to the odd outburst or mood swing every now and then. So there is important brain development going on, but it's uneven. The prefrontal area of the brain, which is important to planning, looking to the long term, controlling impulses, and also regulating emotions, that develops late, whereas the, the emotional areas develop earlier. So teenagers can express strong emotions, experience strong emotions, but they may have difficulties in regulating these emotions. They are genuinely feeling much stronger, uh, much more frequent negative emotions like sadness and anger and anxiety and, and all sorts of things. And they're going to have more ups and downs in that. So it's not that they're not having positive emotions as well. They are, but it's really up and down. So as adults, our emotions tend to be a bit more stable than they are during adolescence. And on top of that, we've actually learned how to deal with emotions when we have them. So this episode, we're going to take a deeper dive into these teenage emotions. What to do with them, how to cope, and maybe even, if we're lucky, how to take the edge off these strong emotions and restore a little bit of harmony to the house. Julia's son has autism spectrum disorder and ADHD, so she's pretty experienced in dealing with strong emotions at any age, as she and her son navigated what she refers to as him flipping his lid. But even though she's more experienced than most at dealing with the odd emotional outburst, she found that she needed to change her techniques for dealing with strong emotions. 
from Distract Distract, which was successful through childhood, to a bit more of a sophisticated approach for her teenager. We often used to have to use a lot of distraction techniques to avoid tantrums. That was a valid technique in those days. So you just get into this reflex of using distraction and almost giving them an order for how to feel. Feel this and then they copy you and then it's just sort of easier for everyone. But I suppose it was like a stopgap type of a, a thing. It was not something that should have been carried into teenagehood and adulthood. What Julia says she since learned about her own parenting was that she was unintentionally preventing her son from learning about his emotions. As I'm sure a lot of parents might be able to empathise with, it can be hard watching your kids get angry, get frustrated and get hurt. But Associate Professor Marie Yap, who led the development of the PIP program, says that this is actually an important thing for our kids to learn. There's a term called emotional intelligence, you know, so being able to identify what you're feeling and correctly label it and even try to understand where it stemmed from and then be able to identify how to manage it. Children experience a whole range of emotions as well, but oftentimes as they are still young, they get a lot more support from the adults around them in terms of, you know, what to do. Oftentimes an adult steps in to support them. But in the teenage years, they need to learn to do that for themselves. The process of learning those skills really happens during the teenage years. And that's where, you know, finding the right amount of scaffolding from the adults in a young person's life is really important. So rather than being afraid of those strong teenage emotions, the play here is to look at this as a bit of a teachable moment for your teenager. Your role as a parent is to teach your child about the emotions they're having and help them develop the emotional regulation that they'll need as they go out into the world and face many, many emotionally challenging situations. Now, of course, you're a parent, so I'm sure you can see the flaw in all of this. Your level of courage and composure under fire of a thousand verbal bullets from your teenager is the key to making this work. Mother of three, Anna, describes how she had to learn to keep her cool under pressure. I've le- definitely learned going through here what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, what doesn't work is getting angry at him and their moods. I do sometimes still, but I try not to, but I'm just aware that that does not work. And just trying to be more accepting of that's where they're at and looking at their behaviour, not to see the behaviour as the problem, but more like what's going on. Not that I'm any saint in like, you know, letting everything go, but even if I'd have a bit of a snap at him when I go away and then come back and think about it a bit, I'm less reactive and that's a good thing yeah and that's the other thing I've learned too just don't react to things straight away as they happen he'd be like you know really rude or offhand whatever and straight away I'd be cross and say mm, backwards straight out, straight at him and I've just learned just walk away for a minute you know walk away go away in the garden come back just don't react with that emotion straight back at him because that would just inflame the situation because as Anna says The driving forces are not necessarily starting arguments for the sake of having arguments. Anna says knowing where the emotions are likely to be stemming from and knowing what's happening in your teenager's brain can help you to regulate your own emotional response and make better decisions about what's going on with your teen. Just being mindful that they are going through stuff and they they might feel insecure or small or whatever it is and that that manifests itself in some pretty weird behaviour. But just that's how they're growing That awareness of your child's emotions is handy, 
But Kim reckons awareness of your own emotions is extremely important too. In that way, you can avoid getting to the point where you're so frustrated at the kids that you flip your lid yourself. When I get frustrated and I feel that I'm not being heard or even taken advantage of as a parent, I've let them know M is for mum. It's not for maid. You are young people now. You are capable of these things. You know, this, this is how it makes me feel. So it does open up honest conversation at the time instead of me allowing the frustration to build up, build up, build up, get angry, maybe be slightly passive aggressive, and then the kids don't understand what I'm on about. And Kim says that by having the time to explain herself and her perspective, it often forces her kids to put themselves in her shoes. This is what I expect from you and I expect it because of this. And they get it. They think, oh, and I have actually had them turn around and say, I never thought of it that way. That, yeah, I do sometimes think if I just ignore mum, if I put my headphones on, she'll just do it. So it's nice to get those admissions. It doesn't happen all of the time. But, yeah, that helps a lot to be able to have those conversations and to be able to say these are the similarities between us. We might be different ages, but these are the similarities. I think turning the conversation around that way does actually help them see me the way I want to be seen. Tony says that techniques like being in touch with your own emotions and having constructive disagreements actually really helps your teenager to observe and learn healthy ways of both disagreeing with someone and of regulating their own emotions. If you can show your teenager how to have a disagreement that doesn't descend into a shouting match, he says, then that's a fantastic behaviour to try and model. What we've got to do is to try and help the teenager get to that adult point where they are better at regulating their emotions, they're better at looking at the longer term, they're better at sort of planning and problem solving and less likely to react in an impulsive way dominated by their emotions. I mean, this, this will tend to come with time as they move into earlier adulthood, but you know, parents can assist uh, that development by the way they interact with the, the teenager and also by their own modelling of how they handle emotions and they problem solve and plan. A lot of it is what you'll convey through your own modelling. So it is, it is important also to attend to how we handle emotional situations, how we solve problems, how we interact with other people in our lives because they will see that and be influenced by it. And considering we're on the topic of modelling healthy conflict, this is probably a good time to bring up the thorny issue of conflict between parents. If there is a lot of conflict between parents or people get very emotional within the family, the adults get very emotional, that inevitably will have some influence. So it is a matter of not only, you know, how, how we interact with the teenage children, but also how we as adults interact with each other and what messages that we're sending in that regard. As you could probably have gathered already, parents yelling and screaming at each other kind of goes against everything that we've been working on in terms of modelling healthy relationships and disagreements. For our partners in parenting participants, it's usually a quick moment away from the kids to get on the same page with your partner before you're back in the room to show a united front. This is Frances, a mother of two, aged 20 and 18. My husband and I will still, you know, get cross with each, each other, how, how we're reacting. I'll think that he's trying to be on their side or not back me up. And sometimes you sort of have to pull them aside and hang on, you know, <laughs> team us. We're the, we're the, we're, we've got to be on the same team and, yeah, have a few 
conversations to check what's going to be our approach with this, how are we going to sit down and talk about it. It doesn't always work, but yeah, it definitely helps when we've tried maybe chat about what's going to happen first before we have a chat with whichever teenager has done whatever. For Laura, one of the things that solved a few disagreements between herself and her partner was doing a parenting program together, in this case, Pip, to make sure they're both getting the same information. It wasn't me telling him, I read this on the internet, you need to do it, because he did not like that at all. You're not the parenting expert, don't tell me what to do. So I said, right, let's go to a parenting expert then and get some information that we can both apply. So this program came up and I said to my husband, can we do it together and then we'll both have the same information and then we both can try to apply some new ideas. So that's what we did. I mean, it didn't solve everything, but it gave us some things to start working on together. He picked up some things, I picked up some other things and between us we put we started to change things a bit more. These sorts of strategies for minimising interparental conflict will be fine for most parents to quickly get back on the same page, says Maraid. But for some parents and carers whose relationship can be particularly frosty, it's extremely important to keep the kids right out of it. This is particularly important for parents who have split up. So this is when we say interparental conflict, it's any parents or any carers that are involved. It's not just biological parents. This could be step parents. It could be a combination of all of that. And in those cases, what we often see is parents involving the child in the conflict. So asking them to choose sides, you know, really bad mouthing, oh, your dad is so hopeless, look at him, he's late again. Really important to avoid that kind of language um, around kids. Tony says the effects of being exposed to that sort of stuff can be particularly damaging on your child's long-term health. Conflict between parents is a known risk factor for children developing uh, mental health problems. They are direct stresses on the child as well as being a poor sort of model for the child to base their own development on when they become adults and how they resolve things. If you can model positive ways of handling conflict as well as just not showing them the conflict by doing it privately or whatever, but also modelling ways in constructive ways of where there is a difference of opinion, not being dominated by emotion, trying to problem solve it all, trying to look at the other person's perspective, talk about it calmly and so on, are important as well. Conflict in itself is part of life, it's part of all relationships, it's normal. Um, so we're not trying to avoid conflict altogether and have this you know, magical relationship that doesn't exist. We want to look at when conflict does happen, and that could be you know, minor disagreements you know, through to more major things, how we're actually managing it and how people feel afterwards. As Maraid and Tony have just mentioned, it's possible to have good conflict and it can actually be a teachable moment for your teenager who's still learning about how to manage their own emotions and learn about the emotions of those around them. But the key, Maraid says, is knowing the difference between good conflict and bad conflict. If you're in a situation where there's a lot of sort of that lingering conflict in the home, a lot of people, you know, feeling like they're walking on eggshells, a lot of anger and resentment all the time, and it's impacting everyone in the family or particular people in the family, then that's probably when it's becoming problematic, but not if there just happens to be conflict and, and disagreements and we're talking this through and we're learning how to manage it. That's not necessarily problematic, although it might be difficult because, again, they don't have the skills yet. So they're not going to be naturally good at, at managing the conflict. You're going to have to teach them and that's going to take its toll. This is where you as a parent come in to act as a bit of a referee for your other family members 
and even for yourself from time to time, as Maria explains. We are individuals <laughs> and there will be differences. And so the parents actually knowing um, when and how to step in, whether that's like in terms of setting ground rules, in terms of mediating you know, disagreements and, and actually directly problem solving with the kids, depending on the age, versus allowing them to kind of hash things out with certain boundaries, you know, no, no hitting, you know, yelling, you know, that kind of thing, but actually allowing them to, to practice those skills, conflict resolution, develop those skills, you know, if they don't really have them. Those opportunities are actually really valuable because there'll be a lot of noise through that process of developing those skills. But we know that children who grow up in um, families with more than one child, the social skill development is actually is, is quite different to a one-child family where the family has to be a lot more intentional in you know, creating those opportunities you know, for the child to develop those social skills. You're thrown right into it in your family if you have more than one kid. <laughs> so, so growing up with siblings does mean that you have to develop those social skills earlier and throughout your lifetime living at home perhaps. So it's actually it's a great opportunity for your kids to be able to develop those skills and your role as a parent of course varies in, in terms of what that looks like in how you intervene and support the development of, of the, those skills, but it's actually really valuable opportunities for them to learn. So, you know, as you have, as your kids grow older, you know, to be able to step back a bit more as well and, you know, to let them, you know, learn through negotiation to, to resolve um, disagreements. That's actually very important. Julia says that the thing that really stood out for her from the conflict modules in PIP was the way that she could start to turn the disagreement around. Instead of you being on one side and your teenager or whoever being on the other side and the problem in the middle, all of a sudden the two of you are together on the same side looking at the problem. So you might not even resolve the problem. In fact, that's not even really the, the thing that we're trying to do, or we were taught to do to resolve the problem. It's the connection between the, the parent and the child that you, that you get. As Laura says, sometimes there's those moments when everything just clicks and there's harmony in the family, even if it only lasts for a few seconds. You know, sometimes you just, maybe there's a moment where we do get to all sit down at dinner together and I just, in my mind, <laughs> saying, everybody just be calm and let's just be, I'm just going, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful that they're all here and they're all healthy and they're all you know, having a civil conversation. They don't stay for long and I try to limit my expectations about maybe what that's going to be like. It's not going to be a picture of perfection, happy families around the table very often, but when it is, I just go, let's make the most of it and kick my husband under the table when he says some stupid dad joke or something that's going to make them fly off the handle. Just be calm and be quiet. (laughs) Um, And he, he gives me daggers, but... We, we know that that's an important moment to kind of grab hold of and appreciate, so we, we're doing that. So, as hopefully you've learned by now, dealing with strong emotions from your teenager can be tough, and it can lead to all sorts of arguments and disagreements between your teen, their siblings and yourself. But instead of seeing this as an attack on you, it's often at times more accurate to consider yourself the unfortunate bystander of your teenager learning about their emotions and how to deal with them. So it's important for you to develop the skills and tools necessary to defuse the bomb, so to speak. And you'll find that your home life is a whole lot calmer and happier. If you're interested in learning more about how to do that, Maraid and Marie take you through where to start. 
there's a whole module in our program but again there's also lots of other resources out there about good conflict management a lot of that comes down to assertive communication which people may have heard of you know assertive versus aggressive communication but really looking at and practicing that and the module focuses also specifically on on managing conflict with teenagers the connect module talks specifically about how parents can connect with their teenagers around their strong emotions and then in the in the last module we also talk a bit more about kind of sadness and depression as you know another package of strong emotions that teenagers go through how to distinguish between you know normal teenage moodiness you know from actual depression or concerns about you know tipping over into depression so so we talk more about how parents can respond to that and when to seek help if they if they are concerned about their child's mood that way If you're interested in some more parenting resources to help you raise your team with confidence or you'd like to give the Partners in Parenting online program a try, head to the website at partnersinparenting.com.au. On the next episode of Partners in Parenting, we look at something that might cause a little bit of those strong emotions. If you've ever heard the phrase from your teenager, you never let me do anything, then this one might be for you. I saw him make lots of poor choices and thought, hang on, how do I help him? What's the worst that could happen if something goes wrong? You've still got to remember, you're the parent and you can say no. Next episode, we're talking about boundaries and rules. It's okay if your teenager's pushing the boundaries. Next time on Partners in Parenting. This podcast features experts Associate Professor Marie Yap and Psychologist and Research Fellow Mairead Cardamone-Breen, both from Monash University, and Emeritus Professor Tony Jorm from the Centre for Mental Health at the University of Melbourne. Special thanks goes to all the parent participants from the program who were willing to tell their stories. This podcast was produced on the traditional lands of the Bunurong people by Jetstreamer in conjunction with Action Lab at Monash University. For more information about the Partners in Parenting program or if you'd like to get involved, visit partnersinparenting.com.au.